Hello everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Med Cases. Without any delay, let's get started with today's case. So today we have a 34-year-old man. He was brought to the ER with complaints of severe upper GI bleeding. The patient had been vomiting large quantities of flush fresh blood since that morning. The vomitus did not contain any food particles as the patient had not been eating since the morning. His wife also explains that the, for the past few days, uh, the patient has not been eating well and had a history of blood in stools once, one episode. There was no other significant family history. The patient consumed about 5-6 to six glasses of alcohol every day for the past 10 years. The patient also had a history of regular or repeated admissions with complaints of abdominal distension and was told that his symptoms were due to his excessive alcohol consumption. Today, his pulse is 112 per minute. His blood pressure is 90 over 60 millimeters of mercury. His abdomen is distended and the liver is not palpable. So as you notice, the diagnosis is fairly straightforward. But what is most important for cases like this are the management steps. So what do you think is the first step to do? Right. Since the patient has come to the ER and is with several distress and is on is severely distressful, so we need to stabilize him. So the first things we do are our ABCs. But what is our priority in this case? Is it maintaining an airway or is it circulation? Right. So the answer is we have to maintain his airway first. The reason being he has an upper GI bleed which is massive. And the patient has a history of alcoholism, which means he might not be in a completely conscious state to maintain a clear airway. Additionally, he also has low blood volume, which is indicated by his low BP, which can lead to shock and decreased consciousness. So if his airway is not maintained well or if is not well conscious, is not in a good conscious state, the bleeding coming up from his GI can be aspirated. And hence, to prevent this aspiration, we have to maintain a good airway. So we have to intubate him first. The next step for us is now maintaining a good circulation since his BP is low. So we do this by securing two large bore peripheral IV catheters and start the patient on IV fluids, preferably crystalloids for volume resuscitation. Now, like we've mentioned in our previous podcast of upper GI bleeding, any upper GI bleed must get IV PPIs after his initial IV stabilization. So even for this patient, we have to give IV PPI. Later on, we can avoid it if, if it's not necessary. But right now, you have to give the patient PPIs and simultaneously collect blood samples for investigations such as CBC, complete blood count, LFT, liver function test, renal function tests, serum electrolytes, and serum ammonia. I'm going to take a small deviation here to mention a few quick points which you must remember. In patients like this, we have to maintain a hemoglobin of more than 7. If you notice the hemoglobin, hemoglobin falling below 9, you must start blood transfusion. And platelets, again, because the patient is bleeding, if the platelets fall below 50,000, you have to give the patient platelets. If you're thinking about why we don't use FFP, there is a good reason. While FFP can be 
can is is a very good um, controller for coagulopathy but it can it'll cause volume overload and hence we avoid it so the best thing for low platelets is platelet transfusion the next point i want to mention in our deviation is about serum ammonia so serum ammonia is uh, is has to be measured in cases of liver dysfunction because ammonia can cross the blood brain barrier and only in the liver is the ammonia converted to ammonium which can be easily excreted out in the kidneys now a clinical way to check the serum ammonia is by doing asterixis sign but since our patient is not in a uh, in a stable state to perform the sign on we have to check the serum levels okay coming back to the patient we now have a fair idea that this patient has liver cirrhosis if you're thinking why it's because he has a history of repeated ascites and now upper gi bleed and history of alcoholism so we must start the patient on iv octreotide even though you don't have his um, blood results back it's best to start the patient on iv octreotide the reason being the octreotide works by dilating the systemic vasculature so once the vasculature and the systemic circulation is dilated the backflow of blood from the portal um, vessels which is caused due to the portal hypertension can be easily stored in the systemic vasculature now and this al- uh, also decreases the upper gi bleed now along with octreotide we must also give iv antibiotics as a prophylaxis to decrease infectious complications such as spontaneous bacterial peritonitis now the preferred antibiotic is ceftriaxone i'm going to repeat all the iv stuff we have to give a patient because it is a lot so you have to give a patient iv fluids iv ppis proton pump inhibitors iv octreotide and iv antibiotics four things all right so once the patient is stabilized the next step is upper gi endoscopy the reason we do an endoscopy is so that we can uh, identify the source of the bleeding and stop the bleeding if possible so let's say for this patient we performed upper gi endoscopy and stop for the bleeding by doing a, a procedure called endoscopic sclerotherapy sclerotherapy is a method where you inject a, a toxic or not a toxic but you know an irritant like a chemical so it stops the bleeding at the tips now let's say um this patient did not have any further rebleeding so then so what do we do next we admit the patient to the ward and then we have to monitor him and start him on secondary prophylaxis this secondary prophylaxis is by non selective beta beta blockers non selective beta blockers such as propranolol or nadolol now once the patient has shown improvement you discharge him and then you ask the patient to revisit the opd after 1 to 2 weeks for a procedure called endoscopic banding of varices now we have to do the banding of the varices because we've only done a sclerotherapy so it is just at the tips as the patient starts consuming food or if he goes back to consuming alcohol the sclerotherapy is going to wear off and then it's going to start rebleeding so the best thing to do again the next step is um banding of the varices now in our case we did not have a rebleeding but there can be other scenarios one of them is after the initial endoscopic sclerotherapy there might be a rebleeding for cases like that 
we can repeat um, another sclerotherapic endoscopically if there is recurrent bleedings even after the second sclerotherapy we have to perform a surgery called tips tips or a shunt surgery i will come back to the tips in a moment another scenario which is possible is there is continuous bleeding there is no period where there is no bleeding at all so for cases like that we have to do a temporary stoppage of bleed by something called balloon tamponade so what this does is you you go in endoscopically and then you inflate the balloon so the balloon presses against the bleeding blood vessel and then stops bleeding the most commonly used one is called sengs taken blakemore tube now once the balloon is inflated and there is no more bleeding and the patient is uh, getting stabilized once he is all stable you perform tips or uh, shunt surgery also note if a patient has recurrent admissions for esophageal varices perform an elective tips or su- uh, shunt surgery now if you're wondering what is a uh, tips i'm going to just tell you in a minute so tips stands for transjugular intrahepatic portosystemic shunt i'm going to repeat that again transjugular intrahepatic portosystemic shunt so as the name suggests it is a shunt which means it is connecting two different things now the first word is transjugular so it is through the jugular vessels in our body the second word is intrahepatic so this procedure happens inside the liver portosystemic shunt which means the shunt is between the portal system and the systemic vessels so this is done radiologically and well th- completely by different physician but if you want to know more i'm going to talk about it one thing i want you all to remember is if the patient has a very high level of serum ammonia or the patient um is having delirium he's not in a good conscious or attentive state do not perform tips because once you perform tips you are totally avoiding uh the blood to go into the liver and in the liver is where ammonia is converted to ammonium if you perform tips you are providing a direct path for the ammonia to go into the systemic circulation to the brain and you will just hasten or you'll just fasten the um uh, not the recovery but you'll fasten the disease like you'll fasten delirium you'll, you'll cause it you'll make it worse so avoid tips in patients with severe ammonia all right so before we end this podcast another most important management tip is always counsel the patient for alcohol abstinence if the patient is not abstinent from alcohol he's going to have recurrent bleedings he's going to have recurrent admissions and hence you must provide the option and you have to provide adequate support you refer him to support groups alcohol anonymous and you provide uh, you ask them to abstain, abstain from alcohol so this is it for today's case guys i will see you all in my next next podcast with another case until then take care bye